0: Hey everyone, I just want to give a quick trigger warning to anyone sensitive to abuse for the story, Mother, You Do Not Speak for Us. Enjoy the show. spook show Uh, I'm Kyle Carezzi it's uh the holidays it's the longest end of the year and uh 2020 wasn't a time for cheer it was a time for despair and a time for beer but in the pit of darkness were kernels of light and they were moments of laughter and moments of light Well been reflecting on 2020, uh, it's almost over, and just thinking about it in mass, and when I'd read or watch something about uh, some beats in history, even if it's recent history, I always think in terms of, like, oh, wow, that's how it was, but then when I th- see things uh, depicting what's going on or talking about what's going on this year, whether it's in media or social media or in ads or something... I often think, no, that's not, that's not how it is. And I often worry how, uh, these times will be perceived, uh, through the lens of history. So if anything, I hope, uh, if the stories I recorded this year do become time capsules, I hope they provide a glimpse into how 2020 actually was. the year draws to a close, and the holidays approach, I'd say, let's embrace for 2021 and for whatever weirdo bullshit is heading our way. But anyway, during this uh, show, I'll be pulling uh, horror story titles from a hat, and I'll be improvising them as I tell them. I've never seen these titles before, so let's get right into it. Alright, this first story is called Her Royal Highness Objects. There's a quote from Albert Einstein. He was speaking about the context of the atomic bomb. How World War Three will be fought with bombs, and World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. World War IV period that the story takes place. And sure, history was blurry. uh, In terms of what happened between the uh, previous two world wars. Something about a guy named Karl Marx or something. Tribes and they used the recesses of previous civilizations to build their homes and their nations. farms and resources and forcing them to be dependent on this specific monarchy. Anarchy had a princess uh, named Sheena. Sheena spent a lot of time in her hot garbage castle, not really seeing the world or anything. tribes and nations uh, focused on agriculture and developing their own resources. Uh, This uh, garbage monarchy would focus on pooling and taking resources from other places and really doubling down on the garbage from previous civilizations and their castle was pretty much one big garbage pile. So Sheena and her garbage tower and her garbage pile and her garbage country just kept being brought suitors uh, to marry off from other nations, uh, dukes from other countries and whatnot. But her royal highness objected, she wasn't in any of these suitors. All from garbage places, but really, she was from the garbagey place of all. And during her residence with the uh, the monarchy, she'd often run away as a kid and as a teenager. But she'd always circle back around when she needed food or something. She got too hungry. One time she had a conversation with her father, you know. Hey, Dad, how come Oliver? Keep getting assassinated. whoa Sheena, a lot of people in our garbage country uh, thinks we're assholes. Oh, well, why is that? And her father, the king, thought about it, and he was just like, you know what? I don't know. The conversation didn't go any further. that the monarchy uh burned other civilizations histories was also blurred from their own history books as if they came up with all the ingenuities of their time or really they were just sitting on a pile of garbage questions about society and the bigger picture. Her sisters didn't mind feeling uh, incubated and isolated from the rest of the world. Sheena felt like she had some shit she had to learn. So eventually she was reading some books about foraging and hunting. And then she ran away for real good at finding her own food. She didn't know quite what she was doing. Uh, she had some poisonous mushrooms, some spoiled meat, I would often get sick a lot. She didn't have a real grasp on how to take care of herself at all. she was living in the wilderness but she was just like in some town somewhere and she'd be like sick sitting on a bench and someone would be like oh shit you're right." and she was just like yeah I'm cool I'm cool but she would just be eating these poisonous mushrooms Outside of the jurisdiction of the monarchy and couldn't tap into their food distribution system, even though it was subpar for most of the country. nations, but they would always boot her out because she was very disrespectful or she would try to take advantage of someone and someone else and other people would catch wind of it and then boot her out for that. Her whole life and culture was designed to take advantage of someone. People. So she didn't know of any other way to get by Eventually on her journey she uh up staying at a cottage and through one conversation or another, she agrees to become an apprentice for a medicine maker. What they they do is pretty much uh, brew medicine, first aid supplies, and travel from town to town and different markets to try to sell it for the most uh, cost-effective way. they can still get by, but also people can get what they need. Because the medicine maker would always joke, yeah, it's not like they're getting it from the monarchy. And then Sheena was just like, ha, ah, 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 yeah, yeah. And Sheena would learn useful things about uh, making medicine supplies, how to provide wounds a quick recovery, how to save back fevers and viruses. Several years of this, Sheena decides to start her own practice. she discovered so she could make the same medicine with uh, less of the key ingredients so it can serve as medicine but only put half the amount in and still sell it for the same price so that she can manufacture more so she started doing this and it started to Work out for her business wise. She eventually pulls enough money to hire other merchants to sell her medicine in different towns. And eventually she uh, rents a bigger space so she can manufacture more of this medicine quickly. And she even had uh, more money to spend to spend more on key ingredients. But the more her business expanded, the more she added these key ingredients less and less. Because in some towns she was the only medicine distributor And on her medicine. But she would only do this uh, in a town where she was covering the ground uh, medicine-wise. so big that her family reaches out to her and asks if they can start selling her medicine even considering starting and manufacturing uh, plants in the monarchy's country. Sheena agrees with this deal and uh, they uh, set it up so they can split the profits in, somewhere, in some way. Actually, back in the monarchy's country, she uh, builds up a new garbage pile and lives there. Feeling like she didn't need a suitor or anything. and it felt good to be in business in herself. And monopolizing an industry that people were dependent on. having a meeting, uh, discussing distribution in, uh, different nations across the sea. She's on her way back to her own garbage pile that she lives. And then a stranger approaches her on the street and then shoots her falls on the sidewalk and then looks up. And then sees a man before her and he says, Both of my parents and one of my cousins died because of your hack medicine. And they couldn't get anything else anywhere else. And then he ran off. And Ashina lied there bleeding out. She didn't fully understand why someone would try to assassinate her. So, I mean, yeah, it would have been helpful. <laughs> if she had a clue, that would have been like a two minute story. This next story is called, Mother, You Do Not Speak For Us. Sherry was an older woman who had four children, Harry, Barry, Larry, and Steve. Harry was the oldest, Larry was the second oldest, Barry was the second youngest, and Steve was adopted. conceptualize how dysfunctional your country is, unless you go to other countries. The same could be said for families. You don't quite grasp the specific dysfunctions of your family, unless you get to know other families. In the case for Sherry's family, that household Sherry was pretty much a dictator and not in the way as if you know like oh with this kind of discipline you know teach you the right lessons and uh we'll help you move forth in the world and life and stuff no Sherry was just a dick pretty much to a different man each time she had uh, each of her four children. Because each of her husbands were just like, fuck it, I can't take this chick anymore. They had a lot of strange policies in their house. Dinner uh, every night. Sometimes they're free to socialize and whatever, but uh. Sherry was always specific. No, you always have to have dinner here, and I'm cooking every time. The four kids can always hear the stovetop sizzle and whatnot to whatever dish Sherry was making. Some of the kids did have friends there was a house policy that uh, Sherry the mother was the only one that was allowed to answer the phone and she would pass the phone to someone else if she chose to for instance if someone wanted to hang out with Larry, a friend from school or whatnot, she'd be like oh yeah Larry can't come to the phone right now Uh, try calling back tomorrow and sometimes that friend would call tomorrow and she'd be like oh yeah you just missed him Sarah would go through great pains to isolate her children from the world. Now, as Steve was coming of age, he was around 10. Harry was about 20, but still lived at the house. He did go to college, but he always spent time at the house, and always abided by, uh, Sherry's, uh, uh, dinner rule. As with all the rules. Most 18-year-olds can just be all like, hey, you know, I don't have to follow anyone's rules, I can just do whatever. But Sherry's kids didn't really grasp that. But, however, it was dawning on Steve. about the way Sherry treated all the children. So there was one week when Steve was making a friend at school, you know. They'd hang out at the Scholastic Book Fair and all that. Bumps and fear street books together. Hang on to the library. But Steve's friend, uh, Alan would always be like, How come you never invite me over your house or anything? And then Steve was just like, Oh, you know, I don't I don't really know, you know. But really, Steve knew how overbearing. Mother was. I didn't want to share that with other people. So there's one day, uh, uh Sunday afternoon. like, hanging out, you know, throwing a ball against a wall, or whatever. The mother's out, uh, watering the lawn. They, have a, they had a beautiful, immaculate, freshly trimmed lawn. And Steve heard the phone ring. Now, knowing of this rule, uh, the mother was outside, and he didn't want the phone to go unanswered. None of his brothers were home, so Steve went and uh to answer the phone, and it was Alan. And then I was like, "Hey, Steve, you want to hang out?" And Steve was just like, "Yeah, maybe. I'll be. I could be back for dinner, though. You know, as long as I'm back for dinner. Uh, and yeah, we can hang out for a bit." lived in the same neighborhood, so hanging out was accessible. So before he hung up the phone, uh, she saw be- he saw behind him uh, was Sherry, his mother. She glared at him. A very mean and cruel glare. One that elicited hopelessness in, uh, in children, for sure were people with no other options. She just slowly opened her hand, ready to receive something. And then Steve reluctantly, but obediently, handed over the phone. And then Jerry just said to the phone, "Uh, Steve will call you right back. And then she hung up. glared at Steve again, and she said, Steve, you know that you're not allowed to answer the phone. Only I answer it, and then pass it to whoever, whoever, whoever I choose. You never know who's going to call. What if it was a predator trying to call? What would you do then? What if it was the CIA? What if it was someone from the government who had questions for us? What if it was someone mean and evil, you know? What then? How would you handle that response? And then Steve was just like, well, it was just Alan. He just wanted to hang out, you know? And then Sherry said, oh, well, we're not gonna be hanging out with Alan. for you to receive uh, some form of punishment. And as always you get to choose what that punishment is. And eventually uh, something erupted in Steve. Uh, maybe it was just pure rebellion. maybe it was just the need the fight back. But he said very loudly, loudly, but very directly, Mother, you don't. you do not speak for us. Sherry was taken aback a bit. None of her four children have ever tried to stand up for themselves in that way before. She would slap any of them uh, if they cast a defiant eye. to say something that was also true really got on Sherry's nerves in ways that Steve didn't quite understand at that age. So she said calmly, "Uh, Oh, I don't, I don't speak for you? Well, you don't even know what you're saying, you know. Sure, you can speak, but you don't know what good that is. I know the importance of speech. I've seen the world. And then Steve wasn't taken anywhere anymore. He just got really irritable and didn't know what to do. And he just shouted, shouted, Fuck you! And then ran out of the house. He ran across the lawn and got it dirtier by running through it. He wasn't even wearing shoes. And Sherry just watched him by the doorway. Eventually he ran to Steve's house. I mean, he ran to Alan's house. Steve and Alan, they hang out, and then Steve was just like, oh, I gotta, hey, Alan, can I hang out here? He said when he arrived at Alan's house, and Alan was just like, yeah, sure, man, that's what I wanted in the first place. So they were talking about horror and all that good stuff, R.L. Stein and all that jazz. Steve was also filling Alan in on what he went through at his house today and what he often goes through having an overbearing mother. Now, Alan, also being 10 himself, didn't quite know the necessary things to say about it or to be able to provide practical solutions. But again, not knowing the situation as well as he should have. He was just like, oh, we should just go back, it'll be fine. And Steve was just like, I don't know, she seemed really angry. Like, angriest that I've ever seen her. I mean, Harry and Larry would have some stories about when she, like, flipped out more. And I've never seen her flip out like that, but, you know, even just like that type of glare, I don't want anything to do with it. And I just crash here tonight. Yeah, let me ask my mom. So Alan went and asked his mom, and his mom was just like, "Yeah, cool." And then Alan was like, "All right, you can crash here and whatnot." So then the phone rings at Alan's house. answers it. And he turns to Steve, and he's like, Steve, it's your mom. Steve was just like, oh, okay. So Steve, uh, holds the phone, and then he recognizes his mother's voice, and she says, Stephen. And then Steve's like, yeah. And then she coldly says, you're missing dinner. And he was just like, yeah, I'm not going not gonna to come back for dinner tonight. And then Sherry just was silent for a while and then said, I see. And then hung up. So eventually they go to school together the next morning. Uh, Steve can't even uh, wear, like, a, he wears the same clothes except for a shirt that he borrows from Alan. So while, uh, Steve and Alan are at school together Steve was all like, hey, I think I'm gonna head back to my house tonight And then Alice was just like, oh, really? And then Steve was just like, yeah, I wanna just, like, check on everyone uh, You know, see how that's going was just like, alright, if you need anything, just, uh, you know, let me or my mom know we can help out. And Steve's just like, cool, yeah, cool, cool. And during this time, the Scholastic Book Fair was ongoing. So Steve was spending time at the book fair, reading books and stuff. And then when it was over, he started to go back to his house, something that he was dreading all day. But he happened to make it just in time for dinner. So he goes to the front door and then sees that it's locked. Uh, he has a key and he put it in but he knows that the locks were changed. So he knocks on the door and Sherry opens it. She's just like, oh, Steve, hello. It's been so long since I've seen you. And Steve was just like, oh, it's only yesterday. She's like, yeah, come in, come in. You're just in time for dinner. So Steve walks in, and uh, the table's set up. And uh... now Sherry was a decent cook seemed more immaculate than usual. Multiple courses, multiple Andres, all splayed out on the dining room table. And her three brothers are sitting on the long sides of the table, with Sherry at the head of the table. And then candles are lit as the sun's setting. But then Steve looks closer, and he notices... all their mouths are sewn shut. All three of his brothers, Harry, Larry, and Barry, they're all just sitting very quietly. Their eyes and eyelids seem very wet. And by the head of the table, uh, Sherry has a blender. is uh, she takes servings from each uh, entree and then starts blending it and then pours it in a bowl and puts it in front of one of her children. She does this for Harry, Larry, and Barry and then just leaves Steve to get his own food. sits down and stares at his food instead of everyone else and stares at his brother's eyes and stuff. So everyone starts eating. Uh, Harry, Barry, and Larry are Like very large straws And have to Drink their food Through the barely exposed holes In their mouth Larry has some of his And In a muff He said something in a muffled tone uh, Which Steve uh, Differentiated as It tastes like copper I said, oh, thank you, Larry. It's always nice to have compliments for my meal. And the meal goes on like that. One of Steve's brothers would say something muffled. And then Sherry would interject and try to translate what they're saying. Just, like, toiling with his food, you know, not really eating it during the whole dinner. And Sherry's just like, oh, what's wrong, Steve? You're not hungry? And Steve's just like, uh, no, ma'am, I'm uh, not hungry at all. still, and uncomfortable, uh, and in pain. And then Sherry says, oh I know, let's watch a movie or something. So they all gather around on the couch. a movie together uh, they didn't know the title it was some old movie from the 70s that sherry was really into but uh no one really talks about it these days and sherry's laughing during it really enjoying it but all four of her children are sitting very still and uncomfortable and after that movie ends uh Sherry has an idea, like, ooh, I know, how about we watch a home movie? So she puts in a... Puts in a little DVD that she burned, uh, that morning. And then she's playing footage, uh that seems to take place in their basement, that Steve recognized. And one by one, they sh- she, uh, it shows the process of uh, Sherry sewing all of her children's mouth shut. And each one of them were standing in line waiting their turns as, as it happens, which is the most grotesque thing that Steven thought, besides just the gore of it itself. footage is about two hours long. So, to this day, it's one of the most harrowing things that Steve has ever seen, if not the most harrowing thing. And then Steve stands up and he says, uh, I gotta go to the bathroom. And then Sherry says, okay, that's, that's great. goes to the bathroom and uh, locks it behind him and hyperventilates. And then he opens the bathroom door and then sneaks out. And then he runs across the lawn and just keeps running. He doesn't know how far he runs for, but he eventually goes to Alan tells him and his parents what happened. And eventually his parents called someone and uh, they discover what happened to the children and then they arrest Sherry and then uh, the children start to say it uh, one of Sherry's ex-husbands uh, Barry's father. on his childhood and what his mother was like. And he thought about the consequences of telling off his mother that uh, she doesn't speak for him or his brothers. And he did feel bad about what happened afterwards, but He thought to himself, thinking, well, if I don't speak for myself, then someone else will. Mm. No, the next one's going to be Christmassy as fuck. For sure. Yeah. Mm. All right. This next story is called Do nothing till you hear from me Christmas Eve. The lights were up and decked out. There is a Christmas tree hung up in the town square. called the Schmitter. It's just a very meaty sandwich with some really good sauce. Now, the way I will celebrate Christmas is that I'd spend Christmas Eve at some bar hanging out with pals, and then spend Christmas Day with my family. Christmas, you know, there are some days when I was minimal about it, and some years when uh, I really decked out on it, but this year felt like more of a moderate year, just being all like, yeah, I could really fucking get into Christmas this year. I'm sitting, uh, you know, at the bar, drinking a nice yingling, watching a random Christmas movie on TV, uh, I think it was Elf or something. some chips and whatever and then I see a man in a, in a pea coat uh, in a black fedora and black sunglasses and black gloves and he tosses a Christmas card on the table and I don't, I don't think anything of it and when I notice it I just see him start walking out So I take the Christmas card and I open it and all it says is do nothing till you hear from me. I didn't know what it means nor did I know the context. And I didn't know what it meant by do nothing, you know surely didn't mean not celebrate Christmas. I'll be damned if I was going to sacrifice Christmas this year. My parents and my wife's parents and all that, and my wife's all just like, oh, you seem like you're acting off and whatnot, and I'm just like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, it's just uh, got a weird note, uh, I'll show it to you, it just said, do nothing till you hear from me, and she was just like, who, who gave you this note? I don't know, some guy wearing all black She was like, I see Alright, well, you're involved now Come with me So we go down to the basement She moves an old ping pong table Out of the way There's like a little uh, cellar door there She opens it And crawls inside and I follow her Outside is a larger room, a sub basement. It looked like it was like a little lab. There were some like high-tech computer ge- computer gear there. And I was just like, babe, what's what's going on? And she was just like, Alright, I gotta I gotta come clean with you. I work for the CIA, and I'm trying to save Christmas. And I was just like, you shitting me? What? And she was just like, yeah. Santa Claus is real, but, uh, he doesn't really come around anymore. Once people started to invent guns and cameras, it really stopped being his thing. So various countries around the world, uh, Various government organizations uh, collaborate to distribute pr- presents to people uh, to keep the illusion that uh, Christmas is up. However, being blackmailed uh, by different insurgent organizations to out the whole thing that Santa isn't real. It's like but babe everyone knows that Santa isn't real and then she's just like oh, oh he, he's, he's real alright you don't want to meet him and I was just like oh now I kind of do like fuck is he like actually immortal and she was just like we don't know how old he is we don't know how much longer he has to live but he retired on the condition that uh, Christmas would stay alive forth with a plan to, uh, bomb an embassy in Iceland. But I don't have to do that now, because apparently it's on hold, and they used you to deliver that message to me. And I was just like, wait, you're gonna bomb an en- embassy? And she was just like, well, not anymore, or at least not yet. We were supposed to rendezvous with Santa, uh, At some point I was gonna leave this Christmas Eve And then get back in time for Christmas Day And I was just like Oh fuck, well can I meet Santa? And she's just like Well, I guess so You're in on it now, so why not? Just don't be all like fanboy about it And it'll be cool So when the kids are asleep And the rest of the family's asleep We drive to an airport for my wife and we start flying up north I doze off during the flight and then I wake up uh, and then she just says yeah we're here so I step out and it's somewhere really snowy it's hard to distinguish Snowy field, and then not too far in the distance, uh, I see Santa Claus there with a sleigh and some reindeer, smoking a cigar. We're in aviators, and I was just like, "Oh, okay." So anyway, I just listened to the. Uh, Conversation that she and Santa are having. And then Santa just said, You know, they're trying to cancel Christmas this year. She was just like, Yeah, I know, Santa. to smoke more, and he glares at me, and he's just like, "Who's this guy?" And my wife says, "Oh, it's just my, uh, just my husband. He found out about the whole the uh, the Christmas conspiracy and whatnot. How different governments are trying to keep Christmas alive through uh, high density commercialism and whatnot." I don't want to be on camera or be like hounded down, I just want peace. You know, it was much easier when it was just like, I was just like one dude just passing around presents in the town, then it became this whole big thing, you know. Then I was just like, oh well Santa, it's great to meet, meet you, I mean Christmas isn't my favorite holiday, but it's certainly the loudest. So what are we gonna do about the Iceland thing? And uh, wife says, "Oh, it's uh, the thing was called off. We're not gonna go through with it anymore." And then Santa said, "Okay, good, good." You know, I can't keep you know, and I can't discuss these plans with like this dude here. And Santa was like, "This dude was referring to me," and I was just, like, but, "But Santa!" And he's just like, "Just get him out of here, and we'll talk more." So just wait in a plane I'll talk to you in a little bit So I go back to the plane I'm just like waiting there Uh, It's like a private jet apparently So I'm just Just chilling there waiting for uh, uh, The wife and Santa to keep chatting And then I pass out wake up in some house I don't recognize, and I'm strapped into a chair with a bag over my head, and I'm just like, oh shit, what's going on, and then some other guard guys are around, and it's just like, oh, he's awake, good, good. leverage as many presents as we can from Santa this year so just read this card and then just you'll be free if our uh, ransom's met and I was just like you're holding me for ransom for more presents and then the dude was just like yeah totally and I was just like but doesn't that I I thought you got presents from the metric of being like naughty or nice you know isn't that pretty naughty the guy laughed and he's just like, no, this is bureaucracy and politics, you know. There's some old-fashioned ways to get resources, and it's not always about being naughty or nice. Sometimes you'll be so naughty you can that you can convince other people that you're nice. And I was just like, okay, well that sounds like bullshit though. And he was just like he was just like, whatever, just read the card. So I read it in front of a camera. And I also add just like, yeah, if my wife's listening, just to uh, help out and make sure Santa pays the ransom. talking about something. He sounds really angry. Uh, and he turns to me and he says, Hey, have you been naughty or nice this year? And I was just like, uh, I don't know. I tried to be nice, I guess. He's just like, So were you naughty? And I was just like, Maybe. I mean, I'm uh, just like a some guy that hangs out. And that dude was just like, Oh, fuck. Well, Santa says he's not going to pay a ransom because you were naughty this year. I don't know what you did, but Apparently, it's below Santa's standards. And I started freaking out, just like, oh, what am I gonna. Shit, what am I gonna do? And then the guy's still on the phone, and he's just like, alright, your wife's gonna pay the ransom. a bunch of Hot Wheel sets and some Christmas cookies and an Instapot and it'll be all good so eventually uh, as the night goes on uh, the ransom paid, the ransom's paid and then my wife picks me up we walk out of the mansion together and we take a commercial flight back to the house right in time for the Christmas day to watch our kids open presents driving from the airport uh, back to her house. She's driving in silence, and I'm just like, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? Are you upset? And she's just like, nothing, I just... I just really fucking wanted those Hot Wheels, that's all. to read one more uh this one's called and to ring in the new year here is the latest smash hit from jewel all right (laughs) (laughs) 20s ball drop uh, was unlike other ball drops. It was socially distanced, kind of. Uh, everyone was wearing masks, kind of. It was hard to book people to perform in, uh, in Times Square for the New Year because people wanted, didn't want to deal with COVID and whatnot. However, they were able to book Jewel. at songs, none that I can really think of at the moment, but, you know, some people recognize them, some people are like, alright, yeah, this this is fine. Personally, I don't know who's going to the Times Square ball drop this year, most people around the country was just like, shit, is that still happening? celebrated New Year's in their own way, you know, some sort of uh, isolated part- partying, either uh, with their homesteads or their close personal friends and family. But if there is one common sentiment... 2020 and hello to 2021 it was definitely a cleansing process that felt necessary and apparently jewel had something really uh, special planned uh, during her performance during the ball drop the audience that Times Square really knew Jewel well enough to discern what that was. All they knew that it was gonna be some sort of smash hit. Now a lot of people anticipated that 2021 would be a better year than 2020, but a lot of people thought that between the difference of 2019 and 2020. 2018 and 2019, and 2017 and 2018, etc., etc. So eventually, uh, the ball gets lower and lower. The countdown begins. countdown uh, within the 20 seconds of it. Uh, There's a tweet from Jewel that says, yeah, I'm not performing at New Year's this year. I don't know who's at Times Square right now, but it's not me. But no one really saw this while the countdown was happening. So as the countdown uh, commences, uh, five, four, three, two, one, and then Happy New Year confetti flies the lights go off people shout and scream losing their minds uh, reasonably to say sayonara to a shit year but then the person who claimed to be jewel on stage uh, ripped off her face and skin and ended up being a demon with some hardcore devil horns her backing band uh, also demons Redskin skin and uh, hooves for feet. And then they started to play real kick-ass metal. And like, the people in the audience were just like, yeah, fuck it, of course this happens. Of course this is how 2020 ends. Really hardcore death metal. Crazy drum fills and guitar solos. Even people in the Times Square audience who weren't into metal were totally fucking getting into metal that that time headbanging and moshing and losing their shit. splits open and then fire and magma emerge and all these demons fly out apparently all these cracks and craters are opening up all over New York City and all over the country even and continent and world out let's get hell to free the freeze over. And then the fire, fire and brimstone come down. All the demons are playing metal in the places they erupted from the ground. It is a global uh, metal show and metal party. rocking out and being all hardcore and committing some biblical sins which aren't all bad deeds because it's the bible most of the people who choose to celebrate with these demons uh, have the time of their lives and then the party ends it's January first in twenty twenty-one. All the cracks in the ground are gone. The temperature the temperature in the area went back to regulated temperature. And there wasn't a demon in sight. No one knows what happened to the jewel demon apparently those demons felt like they had to party, too. It wasn't something talked about, really, in the news or media or anything, or in ads or anything like that. But people who lived it were all like, uh, oh, stellar party, right? Yeah, that was a fucking stellar party. And it was, uh, an experience that they were able to Share among themselves, and then to tell stories of the future generations. Of something not to be told, but something that just had to be lived, and the only real way to understand it was, you just had to be there. Yeah, man. You just had to be the man. Yeah, it's that, that's the... You were there, man that's you didn't see. that's how <laughs> you didn't see. that's how i feel about 2020 in a nutshell you just you just had to <laughs> fucking ancient, be there the yeah because you'd be like what's wrong with these people like you weren't there man no you weren't there when you didn't know when toilet paper wasn't gonna be there for you 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 there. know you know you gotta you gotta live that to you know that there. for sure We couldn't even give your change we didn't have enough to go around no no everyone change. had their hand out yeah you know Running out of so money they here. Said, but we still seem to find pennies and shit clogging up our our lint traps. And most people are using cards anyway because money's unsanitary, uh, both physically and ethically, probably. And because there's not enough change in America. No. The men's not making anything because we're poor. Just like what of all the problems, just like oh we're just running out of money, which is like of course, of course you are, <laughs> we are, you know, it's how it how it goes, man. That's right, man. Yeah, man. Yeah,
1: yeah, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, man.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm gonna chug this uh, decaf coffee and wrap the spook of close the spookiverse once again. quarantine spook show i'm kyle carezzi good night and happy new year christmas hanukkah, hanukkah kwanzaa hanukkah. all of the holidays ramadan. Is that, is that... i don't know the time i don't know the time frame for ramadan <laughs> that... thanks for outing me as my lack of for my lack of islam knowledge <laughs> <laughs> Them. Even the holidays that take place different parts of the year, just all of them.